I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Ryan Bennett, a tennis-loving Canuck living in Sydney, Australia. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and a very big thank you to Ryan, the Canuck living in Sydney there from our intro. I do wonder, Matt, if Ryan is one of those Canucks living in Australia uh, that we were sitting not far behind throughout the Felix Auger-Eliassime-Daniil Medvedev match and whose energy was utterly irrepressible. I mean, they were going wild for Felix, pumping him up right the way through and some of them were doing it wearing woolly mittens. There were two women in the gang. Three. There was a gang of three of them. Mm. There was a gang of about eight, I would say, with flags and, you know, all the paraphernalia, including woolly mittens, which they wore throughout. And I would like Ryan to know, or any of our Canadian listeners, uh, whether that's a thing in sport supporting in Canada, woolly mittens. Because um, I was, I was so impressed at their commitment. That was a long match, and they kept the mittens on throughout. I thought it would be mittens on at the start, pose for a photo, mittens off. Uh, but it was very much mittens on throughout. So uh, do let us know, Ryan, and thank you very much for being a friend of the pod. I could do with some mittens if anybody's got any spare here, here in Solihull. It's blooming freezing. Mm. It was weird weather in Melbourne today. It was oh. just sort of sticky, sticky and overcast. And for the second of the two uh, women's single semi-finals tonight, the roof was in fact closed. Um, I got caught in another rain shower. I keep timing my forays out into the big wide world very badly. But anyway, our women's singles final lineup is set and it will be the top seed Ash Barty, taking on Danielle Collins of the United States of America. I think the 27th seed, but that number seems far less significant than than the number next to Ash Barty's name somehow. And look, we'll have a full final preview for you in a couple of days' time. Uh, We will all know tomorrow, won't we? It'll have to be tomorrow because the final, of course, is on Saturday. Uh, So we'll have a full final preview for you tomorrow. We'll, of course, touch upon that matchup tonight but we'll mostly focus on how they got to that final but just just to very quickly rush ahead uh 
it's a final I'm very much here for. Oh, yes. I said to you that after Ash Barty had booked her place, after winning the first semi-final, felt to me like Collins was the more dangerous opponent for her in the final, but out of Collins and Sviontek. And particularly when Collins started that semi-final playing so well, I think a big question mark over someone making their Grand Slam final debut is always how they're going to handle that occasion. And look, we don't know for sure, but I feel pretty confident that Danielle Collins is going to bring it on <laughs> on Saturday and that will make for a great match. One of the safest bets in tennis, Danielle Collins bringing it. And uh, that's why we love her. That's certainly why I love her. Let's deal with Ash Barty first, though, and how she made her way through to the final here for the very first time. 6-1, 6-3 over Madison Keys. She she hasn't lost a set this tournament. She hasn't been taken a tie, to a tie break. The most games she's lost in a set is four. I mean, the majority of her sets have been one, love, two, quite only, frankly. Only Steffi Graf and Monica Seles have reached Australian Open finals, losing fewer games to get there. Barty's only lost 21 games. Crikey. And honestly, tonight, it... It looked like more of the same. It looked like more of players just not really having a clue of how to deal with her out there. I mean, okay, there were there were one or two moments of opportunity for Madison Keys which she didn't quite take, but but that's what Ash Barty and the the very best players in their peak do to you. They put so much pressure on you that when an opportunity does come along, you feel like you've got to to do something extra with it and you're just unable to to cope with the pressure of the moment. So my personal take on that match is that Madison Keys didn't didn't freeze. She didn't sort of fail to cope with the occasion or the moment. She was just comprehensively outplayed and couldn't get any kind of foothold in the match. Hmm. I I thought there were some nerves issues early on, but I think that they are exacerbated against Barty because of the type of ball that's coming your way. You you just don't get any chance to get any rhythm or routine into your ground strokes. And the, and really, the vast majority of players these days in both men's and women's tennis, one thing you do get is routine and rhythm because people don't do that much with the ball that's out of the ordinary. Barty is is a one-off in in the game, uh, kind of in a similar way that Federer was. Oh, did I say that in the past tense? Um, but, you know, it had a feel of a Roger Federer night tonight to me, the way Ash Barty, and all the way through the tournament, she's just been putting on a show. She's just... It's not been dramatic. It's not been a fun time as a competition in her, watching her matches, there's been no feeling of jeopardy really about the result in any of them. And yet they've spilt, still been wonderful spectacles because of what she's able to do. And um, she didn't even have, she's not even having to really adapt and show the, the other layers to her game. If somebody starts to hurt her because her plan a is just completely discombobulating all opponents so far on that. On, on Barty's game being completely different to anybody else on the women's tour and the fact that it is discombobulating all before her. Craig Tizer, her coach, Tyres, Tyres, um, 
He was quoted as saying uh, via the WTA Insider, this is, quote, when you see who Ash has to play, you see them out there practicing someone, uh, you see them out there practicing someone hitting a slice backhand to them. It's probably a bit late the day before to try to get that right. If you haven't practiced it enough now, you're probably not going to get that right. Heck of a quote, that. Really interesting. Yeah. And where do we all stand on that? I mean, he he surely is right. The logic, the logic holds there, doesn't it? That it is such a difficult shot to deal with that you're surely not going to nail dealing with it the night before, are you? Even if you're an excellent crammer. But equally, if she's totally one of a kind and practice time is so limited in tennis, isn't it? You know, you've got an off-season of about three days. Is it an economic and efficient use of your time to be doing practice sessions devoted to the Ash Barty slice backhand? I think he's absolutely right. I think he has hit the nail on the head there really in terms of why nobody is able to cope with it i i think keys said today she's played barty before and the slice is better than ever she said it's it's deeper it's lower and she didn't cope with it very well today madison keys the same way nobody has coped with it in this tournament um what what surprised me a little bit or maybe it didn't surprise me but what i think players need to do when they face Barty is try and take the slice out of the game and that I think that's way easier said than done but I was watching this match and my mind went back to Shelby Rogers against Ash Barty at the US Open last year Shelby Rogers I don't think is as good a player as Madison Keys, but she's similar in that her plan A is hit the ball hard from the back of the court and what she did, I had this memory of watching her come back against Barty in the US Open last year. And I felt like she moonballed to the Barty backhand and got it up really high, which is a much harder ball to slice, sort of forcing Barty to hit the two-handed backhand, perhaps, which I don't think is as good as, as the slice. And I went back to have a look at Shelby Rogers' press conference after the match at the, at the US Open. And Rogers came into that match having lost four times in the season against Barty. So she said what made, you know, she was asked what made the difference that you managed to get a win. And she said, tonight going on the court, I told myself I didn't want to lose in the same way I lost the last five times against her. I tried to do things differently. I mixed in some high balls. I was super patient with her slice because she's not going to miss one of them. In the second and third set, she raised her level. She's going to do that. She's world number one. But I was wanting to hit the ball harder and harder, find winners, because that's the tennis I like to play. But that's what she wants me to do, Roger said. So I redirected, I used some finesse, and I problem solved. And I started hitting more high balls, like I'm in the under 12, she said, playing defense. And she said it ended up working. And now, obviously, that is credit to Barty because she's making players adapt to her. She's making them go out of their comfort zone if they've got any chance of beating her. And it's not surprising that Madison Keys playing a Grand Slam final didn't want to play a style of tennis that wasn't her comfort zone. But I think that's what Barty is making you do. I think she's making players have to adapt because otherwise she's picking them apart. They can't deal with the slice and... I guess I just thought maybe Madison Keys, 
maybe she tried to do that today and just couldn't. And maybe Barty was just too good. But there does seem a blueprint there that Rogers sort of told everyone about. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit surprised that no one has not tried it a little bit more because these matches are running away from them quickly. And Barty is just lulling them into playing the style of tennis she wants them to play. That is absolutely fascinating. I wonder if ego is a factor and that's not directed at anyone in particular, but if you are playing a big match against Ash Barty, if you're playing in the latter stage of a tournament, you have, you are, you know, by definition playing good tennis because you've had to, to get to that, that big match. You've been winning, you know, with your game. So to then have to take the mental step of going, oh, but the game that got me here won't be good enough today. It won't be enough, won't won't work. I have to do something completely different. That's it's quite an ego hit, especially in a sport where the 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 trend, the psychological trend is to say, I'm going to focus on my game. I'm going to bring my best tennis. I'm going to focus on me. And I totally understand that. You know, focus on what you can control, not what you can't, etc. You know, I, I asked Igor Svjontek about Danielle Collins not sitting down at changes of ends today. And she said, oh, I didn't really notice because um, I'm focusing on me. Um, and I get all that. But also, this is a tactical game, a tactical sport. Um, and I, I feel the same as Matt. You know, surely stones are being left unturned here. I've heard a lot from former players, coaches, commentators about how how difficult it is not to play the sort of tennis you want to play because that's mm. the thing that feels good. I want to hit the shots that feel good to me, not the ones that don't, even if those might be the ones that impact the opponent more effectively. And and that is, I think, a really difficult mindset to get into. I, that my mind goes back to the example of when Andy Murray first hurt Rafael Nadal by trying to hit the living daylights out of the ball, which was completely anti what he'd done all of his career that we'd witnessed to that point, which was, I want to move him around and I want to play slice and I want to drop shot and do the things that I like to do. But the thing is, he was getting his clock cleaned by Rafael Nadal every time he tried to do that. So he did something completely different. And suddenly it was like this brainwave moment that he figured out that he could do it. And uh, I'd... It's it's a it must be such a risk in your mind though to do that in a big match like a Grand Slam semi final when you just you don't want you don't want to make a fool of yourself do you either you want to hit the ball well I want to feel like I'm yeah, hitting the ball well you don't but I'm actually want, losing all the points you don't, points. Want, to you be don't want to be Gail Monfils in the U.S. Open semi final that's that's it isn't it of, of yeah of that 2016 was, that's against Djokovic yeah that's the template that's the template going wrong that's that's an example of it going the other way and look i'm absolutely not saying that if someone starts moonballing to ash barty they're going to win because i think there was a sort of mix of factors at play that led to rogers winning that match but i'm i'm just interested that nobody's seems to be trying it even and because barty's proving that (laughs) the sort of current style that players are going in with she is She's finding it pretty straightforward to deal with. She's raised her level so much that she's just picking these players apart. It is, it is fascinating to watch the way that 
the slice is also a great defensive shot. That was a couple of times today. Keys really did nail a forehand and Barty just sliced it back short, brought Keys in and then picked her off at the net. And she can use it that way. She can use it offensively to sort of maneuver opponents around the court. Is such it is such a good shot. It's sort of such quiet, total mastery of the game of tennis that Barty seems to have developed at the moment. And the way she's serving and rolling through games on her serve as well just just sets her up for the rest of the game to flourish. Well, in the final, she will be playing somebody who has beaten her before in Australia. Who knows how significant that will be, but. I'm sure it'll be in the mind of Danielle Collins when she takes to the court on Saturday. Collins today beat Iga Shriontek 6-4, 6-1. It was just in-the-zone stuff from Danielle Collins, that sort of purple patch match that, you know, we all dream of having one day. Every time you unzip your bag, you think, today could be the day. It's never the day. But for Danielle Collins today, it was one of those days. Um, She was just brilliant. She, if possible, upped her level of aggression and intensity. Um, Certainly aggression. There was was some stats uh, coming up, I think, certainly on the coverage out here, showing that she had added about five miles per hour to her average backhand speed. Um, she was just absolutely drilling her shots with just supreme confidence and commitment um, to the extent that Iga Svantec said after the match that that was the hardest ball she'd ever faced in a match. Um, she said, wow. look, there are, there are players that hit the ball harder than that in practice, but they usually take a lot off the ball in a match, you know, to... To, to rein in the the margin margin for error, so you know I I think of Collins as a big hitter. I don't think of her as one of the biggest strikes out there. But I wonder if she was just so confident and feeling it so much that she was hitting the ball as big as she possibly could and just trusting that it would go in and not not worrying about margin for error. Especially that backhand because she's so confident with it. Mm. That That is her shot. And Darren Cahill, who was there, I think, doing ESPN courtside coverage, he made a little cameo pop-up on Eurosport. And, and he said, look, after the first set, he said, that the first thing Svantec's got to do is stop feeding that backhand. She's got to start going to the forehand more. And next thing you know, just as in the first set, it was three love in a blink of an eye and the stats were coming up and she was going way too much to the forehand, to to the backhand rather, and just feeding that shot. And Collins was sitting on it and when she strikes the thing, and often she'll go cross court too, she'll give herself a maximum margin for error, hit it as hard as she possibly can. And it is like a a catapult coming out of the, the racket and... You know, you, you're on the defensive, and and actually that shot to the Barty slice back end most likely will be a fascinating mm. visual, I think, and to see w- where that ends up. Eager uh, Shrontek's serve, I think, was shown up tonight. Look, we we know it's it's not necessarily the the strongest part of her game, and perhaps never will be a big weapon, but it was attacked viciously. Tonight, you know, she was Shrontek was just looking stranded after after the service delivery and the and the fact that 
Danielle Collins was serving so well herself, it just, you know, as Svantec said in press, she just didn't really stand a chance tonight, given all that. But I got the impression from what she said in press, she really knows she needs to try and beef up that. So she was talking a lot about the fact that she feels there are a lot of areas she can improve with her game, in her game. And she's glad about that. She said, look, if there were no areas that I could improve, then that would be pretty bad news because <laughs> I'd be losing like I did tonight. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting what she can do with that shot because I don't have the technical knowledge to know whether she needs to change the motion at all to get more out of it or whether, you know, it just needs time and attention. I, I don't know that, but I do think it needs beefing up for hard courts. Um, and I certainly think she is ambitious about having success on, on surfaces beyond clay. Um, I also think she was not, not a step slow tonight, but just perhaps didn't have the energy to even try and match Collins for intensity. You know, I know, I know probably not anybody can, can actually match her for intensity, but, um, that's quite an intimidating and fearsome thing, I think, to have across the court from you. And, and Shvantec looked sort of not up for the fight, really. Not that she wasn't fighting for it out there. She was, but, you know, I'm not sure she was bare knuckle fighting the, the way that Danielle Collins wanted to. Well, um, they're different characters, aren't mm. they? But I mean, I think the, the interesting thing with Collins is I only really she only really dug into the the massively vocal "come on and let's go" when she started to feel a bit of pressure towards the end of that first set when when Shvantec was starting to to get back into it and she needed to just give it even another push of of intensity and intent until that and all the way through the match including her celebration it was marching back and forth and getting the job done this there was no histrionics there was no frankly there was no massively emotional celebration she wants to win this title she doesn't want to just reach the final she wants to win the damn thing so she's just going about right how do i do that i'll win points this point next point job done and it's it, very interesting to watch her. You know, she believes this is in her. She's proving it. Let's go do it. Oh, she's a stone cold badass. Totally. Just she's she's super cool. I think. I know. She, I know she rubs people up the wrong way. I know that. You know, there are suggestions that she's not the most popular in the locker room. But I think she's. I think she's a good egg. Really. I think she just is doing her own thing and not worrying about. Mm pleasantries really on or off the court and um yeah I've I have an awful lot of time for her she uh, has scored seven top 10 wins in her career and six of them have been in Australia she wow. she likes it here wow that is interesting isn't it and a bit more on that record against Barty there's one win as you said in Australia some close matches. I was I was talking to the Australian journalist Matt Trollope, who was saying he he thinks of Collins as a difficult opponent for Barty. You know, one of Barty's wins was seven six in the third in in Australia, and he said that at the end of that match, Barty was pretty actually pumped up. I I don't think she particularly liked the 
sort of in your face intensity of Collins in that in that matchup. Um Collins has also had a couple of close sets with with Barty on clay before. It sounds like she has dealt with the slice okay in the past. Now that would be a good test of the theory that Barty slice is better than ever. You know, if Collins can't handle it then maybe we'll have yet more proof that it's better. But yeah, I, I think that's that's the hardest possible matchup really waiting for Barty in the final. Um and I can't wait for it. I really can't. I, I don't think Collins is going to be able to feed on the Barty serve in the way she did with the Sviontek serve, as you've outlined, because Barty's serve is so good in terms of hitting the corners, in terms of allowing her to set up the points, where Sviontek's was sort of a bit of a sitting duck at times, wasn't it? That The way it just sat up. So that's a that's a big adjustment for Collins. But just energy-wise and intensity wise that could rock Barty I think a little bit and mm. occasion wise I don't think I think everybody knows how big a deal Ash Barty is in Australia and I think nobody wants to upset her or upset anybody else because she can do no wrong I think I think Daniel uh, Collins wants saying, to upset her David well I'm, and, and this is what I'm going to say I'm not I'm not saying that Collins is going to be going out of her way to be the unpopular person in Australia but she doesn't care. Mm. She doesn't. Care. She just couldn't care less. She's just going to do her job, and she's going to try and beat her and win every single point, and that's the end of it. She's not in in this for a popularity contest, and I think that there there probably is a little bit of that in some of the opponents that Barty's faced. A bit like they're they used to be with Federer. You know, they used to be a little bit too cosy at times. I think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going and frankly being a bit of a Medvedev troll, but you know. Making people a bit irritated by you, fine. Bit of a Robin Serdling. Do me. Mm. Mm. He always took that attitude, didn't he, when he when he faced Nadal or Federer. Mm. Mm. So did uh, Marinko Mitosovic, though, and that didn't go so well for him. He did the <laughs> well, old. Uh, you've got to have the game. <laughs> did the old kicking over the water bottles. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. 
Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Ash Barty is not going to be the only Aussie in action on Saturday night, folks. And that is because the special Ks are through to the final. They beat Marcel Gonoyas and Horatio Zabayos 7-6-6-4 today. And, on- and not just because of them. I'm getting there. <laughs> and they will face the also Australian pairing of Matt Ebden and Max Purcell, who beat the second seeds Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury on the second court today in a match that was, I think, unfair to those two Aussies, scheduled it at the exact same time as the special case. So had absolutely no crowd whatsoever. But anyway... They will get a crowd on Saturday uh, for the All-Aussie final, the first All-Aussie men's doubles final since 1980, which was also the last time an Australian woman played in the singles final. And that was Wendy Turnbull. Um, We watched the special case on the telly today, David. That is how committed we are to uh, this podcast and keeping our listeners abreast of all the goings-on. Yeah, and what did we find? We found a slightly less, I don't know, show-offy, circusy match, really. I don't know whether that was because it was on the Rod Laver Arena. That was certainly Simon Briggs's impression that, you know, the crowd's just less on top of the court there than, yeah, than when they're on the Kia arena. arena. And honestly, that seemed to be the analysis generally that, they did make it a lot more about the tennis today, Kyrgios and Kokonakis. Maybe that was because they were facing the number three seeds who hadn't lost a set and, you know, they really knew that sort of 100% focus was going to be required to win it. But I must say, I thought they played very well. They served incredibly well. I mean, they're so so hard to break and, you know, they've, they've both got good hands and things. And when... Zabayos and Granoyes did start fighting back in the second set. They they just about kept their heads. There was a racket smash from Kyrgios and a, a brief rant, but and apparently a finger to the crowd. Mm, apparently, but this was the toned down special case. Yeah, folks. exactly. But they then they then took them out, and I must say that's that's a very legit win. Mm, you know, both the, those are. Beating Ram and Salisbury mm. for uh, Purcell and Ebden and Granoya Zabayos, who, you know, were very good singles players in their own rights. Both both of them, Granoya's Zabayos. Um, Granoya's did get the shot of the match, didn't he? He did a sort of behind his back um, recovery shot off a off a smash. He, he somehow made the ball, and then and, and then Kyrgios hit his backhand into the net. It was, yeah, it, it was a sort of. A consolation prize. A consolation, exactly. I'm a, I, I am quite interested to in how the narrative is playing out over there, over their involvement in doubles. Uh, it's kind of being billed. I heard Sam Groth interviewing them afterwards, trying to trying to ask them whether whether they might have just changed 
the 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 sport as we know it almost with the last week now i mean it was the biggest crowd that i've seen in australia that that particular doubles it was it was it was a massive crowd and uh and i mean that that they have shifted the singles off the tv and and all the rest of it and i'm i do believe that they've brought in some fans that wouldn't normally be bothered about tennis which which is is interesting and, and it's great on one level but I don't understand the question, really. I don't understand the the point. Are we saying that Kyrgios and Kakanakis are going to now start targeting doubles? Is that going to be a thing? Are they going to start doing that rather than singles? Are they are they going to be part of maybe some sort of brainstorming with the sport to try to figure out ways that Kyrgios has managed to engage with a crowd that nobody else has got to yet? These are all things that could happen. I, I don't see... Just this is a thing in isolation. Mm. This is a wonderful ten days. Yes, everybody remembers it. Everybody will. Mm. But trying it, to make out that this this is changing the sport it, because it can go. It can happen next week. I don't believe. No, I don't believe I, that's the case. Not, unless, not, unless you want to, not David. a tennis resolution revolution, which is what it has been called here. Mm. Yeah. By by yes. both commentators and by. Nick Kyrgios himself, I believe. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, David. I think this idea that there's some sort of long-term effect on this brilliant run that they've put together, I, I don't understand because, as you said, there's no there's no other team out there that's going to start doing this. I think it is going to be interesting to see what Kyrgios does now. We were talking about this earlier. His, you know, his singles ranking is going to be outside the top 100 he's going to need wild cards to get into events and look I'm sure he will get plenty but he might not get them every week I can't imagine him really playing qualifying of events so I think he's going to be relying on wild cards but his doubles ranking if if they win certainly is going to be you know around 50 in the world I think I think he would be able to get into some draws Look, personally I I, I don't mind the idea of Kyrgios, the doubles player, I think in many ways that me, me sort of suits him fine. a bit. You know, it's one of the things with Kyrgios that I've sometimes thought that his his approach to tennis is actually is actually a more relatable one than a lot of the top players. You know, it it takes a ridiculous amount of um, commitment and lifestyle dedication to be a top singles player. And if Kyrgios hasn't hasn't quite committed in that way, that has sort of felt quite normal to me. But if 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 playing doubles and having someone alongside him helps him to enjoy time on court, time spent on the tour a little bit more, he could be a good doubles player. He, I mean, he really could. I mean, he obviously. Um, but I don't He'd probably I, enjoy it more. Yeah, I think so. But I just don't know whether he's going to do that. And if he doesn't do that, then. Yeah, what is the long-term effect of this? Because it's, the thing is, it won't always be this. Sometimes exactly. it'll be court 12 in Mets. Mets. The interesting thing would be, though, if he did... Mets, which is in September, <laughs> apparently. Oh. Yes, turns out I got that wrong. I'm in Marseille or Montpellier, folks. Um, but, you know, it it would be interesting. I mean, Charlie Eccleshare, who has been a, a contributor of ours over many years, and a good friend and now works for The Athletic and covers football, but he still follows tennis really closely and he still loves the sport. And, and he, he was remembering back to when he was at The Telegraph and interviewing Kyrgios and Kakanakis and, and, and thinking that Kakanakis's injury issues 
actually also hurt Kyrgios because it took away a friend of his. It took away uh, somebody who could travel the world and, and just sort of make it normal for him a bit more. And, and, I, and I think that there's some truth to that. Um, I don't want to make too many excuses for Kyrgios because I think, you know, I, I feel for him on a number of levels. And look, he's perhaps just not cut out, like Matt says, for, for, for what all these other players are doing. But you may, we may have got more out of him if he could have had a lifestyle that suited him as well. And I, I just think, well, if he decided, OK, I'm just going to go where Thanasi plays from now on. I'm just going to go to the same tournaments. We're going to go to the same tournaments, hang out together. I'll play qualifying. Or, but anyway, I'll play the doubles. Maybe, maybe tournament directors, this is one way it could change, tournament directors look at what's happened this week and say, right, well, if Kyrgios and Kakanakis play my tournament they will get a big show court every time they play because I can sell that. And, and, it, and, it, and it would be interesting to find out whether that might change attitudes because you'd, look, you'd still have to have – I've, I've long thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to have players having to play doubles and singles and then you could get big-name players together and sell the sport that way. But that is – perhaps a proposition that might work but you'd have to have the tournament directors prepared to say yeah i want this and i'm going to stick it right on center court at seven o'clock mm. interesting proposition i i wonder how long that would keep Kyrgios interested i wonder i, I wonder about would, whether it would really feed answer. the ego enough you know what if what if kokinaki starts having a load of singles success and he's just sort of you know on the sidelines and I don't know. And that's why I think ultimately it's a, it's, it's a couple of fantastic weeks. Remember them for what they are, but mm. let's just maybe not try to make out that mm. the, the, the mm. game has changed suddenly as a result. Yes, yes. We reject the posited tennis revolution. <laughs> um, the only, uh, the only uh, Aussies that were unsuccessful uh, today were Aussie... Um, well, in terms of the match, was Dylan Alcott, who was beaten by Sam Schroeder in the quad wheelchair singles final, 7-5-6, love. This, of course, the much-hyped, um, much-spotlighted final ever match of Dylan Alcott's career. He was crowned Australian of the Year just a few days ago, um, and it was, you know, the script was written the fairy tale ending was going to happen. And while I was sad for Dylan Alcott today, I was so impressed with Sam Schroeder because he was supposed to, you know, read the script. He's only 22, Sam Schroeder. He had lost to Dylan Alcott in six of their seven previous meetings. He had the whole crowd against him. You know, it had a the whole tone of the thing felt like a sort of testimonial that he was supposed to show up and and pay tribute to to Dylan Alcott and and play his role really and um he did all that he's obviously fantastically respectful and admiring and grateful to Dylan Alcott for what he's done for the sport but he also wanted to win today he's you know the future of uh, of quad wheelchair tennis only 22 goodness knows how many slams he'll get and it was I don't know it felt like a a really nice reminder to me that nothing is a given in sport. Anything can happen, um, and I, I'm. It was it was tough that it happened that way. It was quite awkward actually in in the second set. That six love defeat. I think I think Dylan Alcott was quite stressed and tense actually, 
um, which is entirely understandable. Um, but it was lovely at the end. Dylan Alcott did the most wonderful speech. I think he had everyone in tears. You know, what he's, what he's done for the sport, for disabled athletes, for disabled people. There were a lot of them... Um, in the Rod Laver arena today. And they were quite emotional hearing, hearing Dylan Norcott speak. I think a lot of people were, and, um, you know, he's, he's changed people's lives, I think, and I'm sure he'll continue to do so. So I think overall good news for both Dylan Norcott and, uh, and Sam Schroeder today. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, he's so beyond tennis, isn't he? Dylan Norcott in just about every way. And, um, I love listening to him speak, um, and and I hope I hope that he. It's it, it, what I really appreciated is is the way he and Tennis Australia have become integrated, and and the the, the tournaments generally, and it feels like that that has worked, and and that should continue. And and actually, I, I do think it was somewhat fitting that this incredibly talented younger player was the was the bloke to beat him and mm. take that final set pretty dramatically. I know, I know it's, it doesn't go with the narrative and all the rest of it, but kind of a hell of a baton to pass, isn't it? And the, the dominant player gets beaten by somebody who feels like he could be the next dominant player. You've managed to say changing of the guard without saying changing of the guard, David. Wow. Points to you. Um, also today, we had Dida de Chut beating Anik van Koot in the battle of the doubles partners, which is apparently not a big deal in wheelchair tennis, but we like to think of it as a big deal. Uh, 6-1, 6-1, that's her fourth Australian Open and 13th Grand Slam title. Uh, we had Shingo Kanida, uh, who beat Alfie Hewitt today to avenge his defeat to him in the doubles yesterday. Um, thriller, this one, 7-5-3-6-6-2. That is Shingo Kanida's 11th Australian Open title going back to 2007 and his 20th Grand Slam title. And that's only singles, folks. He's got a whole bucket load of doubles titles as well. Um, but his 27th Grand Slam title. Extraordinary. Um, and in the women's doubles today, we had Barbora Kuchikova and Katerina Siniakova beating uh, Kudamatova and Mertens 6-2, 6-3. So a second straight final for Krachikova and Siniakova. They'll play at Haddad Maya and Danilina. Um, and they missed out in the final last year, didn't they? I mean, they're just, I mean, they just feel unbeatable, don't they? Siniakova, Krachikova. Yeah, that's a really convincing win over Mertens and Kudamatova, who are very strong pairing themselves. They're they're some team, Siniakova mm. and Krachikova. And, and I think they benefit from always playing together and mm. they just they just know each other's games and Krejcikova's got all this experience now of, of top singles matches and yeah they just they feel like they're getting stronger so what about tomorrow we start on the Rod Laver arena at midday with the mixed doubles final where we have the Aussie team of Jamie Furless and Jason Kubler taking on Christina Medenovic and Ivan Dodig. Uh, then, not before 2.30 local time, Matteo Berrettini against Rafael Nadal. And then the night session from 7.30pm, Stefanos Tsitsipas against Daniil Medvedev. 
What's going to happen? Ooh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. Well, I think we're in for two classics. One by? Epics. I'd probably go Nadal and Medvedev. But I think, I think that Tsitsipas is going to bring it this time. I think he's he's probably learned a thing or two from his match the other day and 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 how that worked, which was just jumping out and trying to hit out. I think he tries to rally too much with with Medvedev, and Medvedev's too consistent for him. And and eventually, Sitsipas then tries to come to the net, and Medvedev is absolutely brilliant at passing him. I think he's got to try and. You know how you were describing the footwork, Matt, and he was bringing his forehand into play, Sitsipas, even when normally he would just stay and sit on the backhand because he loves hitting his flourishing backhand because it's a beautiful shot and he times it nicely and it dips down inside the baseline and Medvedev just says, yeah, we'll do this all day long, that's absolutely fine, until you drop one short and then I'll really go for it and take over. I just think that maybe Sitsipas has realised that he's got to do an Andy Murray against Nadal and just go for it on on the ground strokes and 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 try to dominate that will bring out the mongrel in medvedev which is never far from the surface he will do what he did against ogeli asim he'll force it into a fifth set and then it's it's game on i think berrettini believes that he can beat nadal he really believes he's, he can take him out they had a close first set the one of the time they played it was a tie break set wasn't it at the us open i think he had a set point but Nadal won that in quite comfortably in the end. And I think there was a bit of the Berrettini against Federer in that performance as well. So I'm not sure I really deserve to share the court with this bloke, you know, deep down. Well, I don't think he feels like that anymore. I think he feels that he can take Nadal out. If Nadal's fully fit, I still bat Nadal. He's bought you some time there with that answer, Matt. Yeah, not not much to add. I think I agree with David's winners. Um, I actually listened back a little bit to the podcast we did last year after the Medvedev Sitsipas semi-final. They met at exactly the same stage at the Australian Open. And I was reminded by how one-sided that was. And, you know, mm. what a what a Medvedev problem Sitsipas had. Sitsipas only hit two winners from the baseline in that match. He had no way past Medvedev. So I, I agree with David that... He needs to do something different. He, he can't just trade with Medvedev. He needs to get that forehand into play if he can. Um, he also didn't, didn't come close to reading Medvedev's serve. I think, I think Sitsipas's return is an issue and Medvedev's serve is so strong. So I'm, I'm backing Medvedev, but their respective quarterfinal performances puts doubt in my mind just because of how good Sitsipas was. Um, in the first one... Yeah, I'm backing Nadal. I'm, I'm interested what the conditions are going to be, you know, because we did see Nadal actually struggle in the heat the other day. Um, it could be indoors. There's there's showers forecast tomorrow and sort of slightly stormy weather. So I don't know, don't know how that would change things. But yeah, I I do. How back do you think Nadal. the backhand of How do you think the backhand will hold up for Berrettini against Nadal? I think that if he targets that relentlessly, Mm. I'm not sure that that it will cope. There's a yeah, there's a zone for Nadal to hit to, isn't there? A sort of safe zone, which is the Berrettini backhand. So over five sets, can it hold up? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not convinced either. He is so good at targeting a weakness, isn't he? 
Nadal. It's it's assassin like, ninja like. Um, I think he has a chance though, Berrettini. Oh, yeah. I really do. And you're right. He he's not pleased to be there. He's he's got fangs that I've been underestimating consistently, as we discussed yesterday. So I think he has a chance. But I'm edging Nadal, and I I think I'm edging Medvedev. But I feel even less confident about that one. Sitsipas was so good. But I know this sport is about matchups. So I'm going to agree with you both and just go for Nadal and Medvedev. But so, so pumped for the Berrettini Sitsipas final on, <laughs> on Sunday. But the thing is, I would be. I oh, would yeah. be. I think this is this is a cracking semi final lineup. I think think we really should have a cracking women's final on Saturday there mm. are other brilliant storylines as well um and Stuart Fraser the the Times tennis correspondent um quote tweeted a tweet of his from a few days ago when the and I'm sorry to bring this up after we've all got over the trauma um but when the uh court court documents came out after Djokovic's final deportation hearing of course the the documents weren't weren't dropped until a few days later. And one of the arguments that Djokovic's defence team uh, put forward was that um, the Australian Open and even Australia would be damaged by Novak Djokovic, the world number one, not playing in the event, and specifically that the the tournament's future in Australia would be damaged. And, um, you know, I think it's pretty clear, in the words of Rafael Nadal, that no one person is bigger than the sport. This sport can survive and thrive without any one individual. Um, and one of the many lessons that uh, Tennis Australia, I think, need to learn from this mm. whole episode is that, 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 that they've always wanted to be player first. I, I understand that. I admire them, their, their success in that over the years. They've done an incredible job. But they've done it to a fault, to to the point where, frankly, they've they've they lost sight of of what was really important, most important, and uh, and I think this this tournament has proved the point that you know, I mean, look, uh, it would still be better if Novak Djokovic was in the tournament, and I wish this had all never happened. But um, at the same time, it showed that. It hasn't had Roger Federer. It hasn't had Novak Djokovic. It hasn't had Serena Williams. Of course, these names, these figures, these players elevate any event that they're in. But others have stood up and carried it, carried the baton. And the storylines have been wonderful. Uh, we'll find out about the viewing figures uh, in, in due course. But it's been a great tournament. Yeah, it has. I am pumped. For the three days to come. I can't wait, folks. And just finally, um, one last thing to mention while we're on Tennis Australia. They did um, U-turn on the ban of uh, Where is Peng Shui uh, t-shirts. Uh, and they are now allowed inside the grounds of Melbourne Park, which is absolutely the right decision. And, it, you know, that's commendable because admitting you're wrong about something isn't very fashionable these days. People don't seem to do it. Um, so that's that's a good thing. Um, that is it, I think, for your Day 11 Australian Open Tennis Podcast. There's only three more to go. I can't believe it. And, of course, a review show for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. If you want to become a friend... 
then do it. There's nothing stopping you. There are details in our show notes. You can get an intro or a shout out like Emily that uh, that we met today, Matt. We met Emily and her friend Matt. Uh, Very lovely too was Emily. She yes. Was, we were set up by Simon Briggs. Yes, he said, I've got some pod fans that want to meet you. And he sort of led us to an appointed location. <laughs> um, and it was lovely, but... Um, Yes, we, it was all very mysterious from Simon. Um, and apparently Emily got a shout out on um, US Open Men's Finals Day. Lucky Emily. That could be you if you become a friend of the tennis podcast. Um, we have our mascots, Carter and Darwin and Gerald the Cat. We have Charlie. No, David, we're, we're, run, we're out of time. We're out of time. We've got Charlie. I delivered for you, Darwin. We've, you and me, Darwin. We predicted Collins in two, didn't we, Darwin? Yes, 40 we points. Come have on. We've got Charlie. Don't talk over me talking about Charlie. Charlie. Charlie deserves the spotlight. Charlie, our lovely beagle mascot. We love Charlie. Thank you to Phil and Gina for bringing Charlie into our lives. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. There is an all-time great Billy Jean photo currently sitting on our Instagram stories for a limited time only. So get yourself over there to see that photo. We have our executive producers and top blokes, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner and Matt. We have shout outs. We have Nancy Dore from Toronto. Or Toronto. All right, Nancy. Hello, Nancy. I, well, I, I the, always used to love the name Nancy. I saw a school of production things, um, of Oliver and um, decided uh, I wanted to be called Nancy. Uh-huh. One of the things I enjoyed doing yesterday was uh, just asking people to take a photo of where they were listening to us and somebody took a photo from toronto uh in heavy snow <laughs> and i thought blimey that looks a bit nippy i think i think toronto is a bit nippy at this time of year david hmm. yeah anyway sort of a- thank you nancy very much indeed we have jeff zahos oh Z in the name, I like that. He says it's pronounced several ways, all of which are fine. Maybe you'll come up with a new pronunciation and because it will sound British, it will be charming and delightful to my yank ears. So really, I can say it however I like, by the sound of things. Oh, there's there's some punctuation on the O. Is there? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, and Jeff also has a dog, Benji, a 13-year-old white woodle, a Wheaton Terrier (gasps) poodle mix. So we're going to have to request photos. Do send us a pic. Wheaton Terrier is quite rare, actually. I'm not sure I've ever met one in the flesh. I would love to meet a woodle. There's a lot to take in here, suddenly. (laughs) Jeff, thank you very much uh, for being a friend of the podcast, Please send me a picture of your woodle. (laughs) 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 Yeah, you send us a picture of your woodle. Right, who we got next, Matt? We have Ada Pesh, who is a long-time 
friend, I believe. And she's in Zurich. She's a cat lover. And she's also the one who recommended an indoor hammock for Catherine. Oh. And your, oh. And your new flat. I didn't go in the indoor hammock direction in the end, but it is a life goal of mine to have an indoor hammock, so I appreciate the recommendation. I've been to Zurich. Me too. I, I went I went through Zurich when I went to interview Roger Federer back in 2001 mm-hmm. in Biel in Switzerland. Okay, that is better than my Zurich story. <laughs> I, whenever I hear Zurich, I think of that uh, Federer and Nadal video when they're trying to make an advert and they keep giggling because Nadal says, see you in Zurich, and it really makes Federer laugh. A bit like Matt in press conferences when uh, Medvedev says volley. He mm. can't control himself. <laughs> Just a lapse. Thanks very much, Ada. Because he says Wally. He does. Mm. Serve and Wally. Which for a guy with V's in his name. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Ada. We appreciate your support. Thank you to all of our friends of the tennis podcast. We'll be back with our day 12 pod after the two men's semi-finals which David has promised will be epic tomorrow. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market